Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, son Gray. My guest today, Mr. Greg Hatcher from the Hatcher Agency Insurance Company, is no exception. Because at one time, early in his career, fresh out of college, before insurance was even a glint in his eye, he was an actual baseball coach for Duke's Blue Devils. What? I know, right? Greg is one of those rare breeds of humans who had their act together at a young age. He's one of those guys you knew through his work ethic and can-do attitude. He was going to succeed at whatever he tried, and if he didn't, he was just going to keep trying. Today, we're going to hear all about his life and what he's accomplished. Greg has been a doer all of his life. He's in perpetual motion, and he's sitting over there with two phones right now. After high school, he was president of the student body at Alma College in Michigan. He was voted the nation's top fraternity man for TKE. Makes you think he's a big drinker, but no, he had no time because he was an athlete and lettered in soccer, wrestling, and baseball, and was captain of the wrestling team. The next part, I think, is so interesting, and I kind of touched on it at the beginning. Though he majored in public relations in, his, in school, his first job after college was as coach for Notre Dame's baseball team. He was a Blue Devil for one year. The next seven years, Greg Hatcher would spend his time in Arkansas working for Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield, where he was named six consecutive times as the account executive of the year. It was in 1990 he decided to take the entrepreneurial leap and founded the Hatcher Agency with one employee and 500 square feet of office space. Today, the Hatcher Agency sits on a city block in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas, has 50 employees, and leads the state in health insurance sales every year since the 1990s, and I think specifically since 1993. In addition, Arkansas Business Publication voted the Hatcher Agency best insurance company for at least 11 years or more. Greg is the only agent in the state of Arkansas and possibly the nation to earn all five insurance designations, and I have no idea what any of these acronyms mean, but I'm going to read them anywhere. He is a COU, a CHC, a CHFC, an RHU, and an REBC, whatever that means. But I think it means he is overqualified and can definitely answer any questions that might come to him today. And last, if you, were, if you are a wrestler or know someone that wrestles besides with their kids and their girlfriend, you can thank Greg for that. He founded the Arkansas Wrestling Association and helped initiate wrestling programs throughout schools in the state of Arkansas. It is an honor to welcome to the table the philanthropic, uber-successful, and well-dressed man, Mr. Greg Hatcher. Thanks. It's good to be here. This is fun. <laughs> I know it is, isn't it? Listen, thank you for so much for coming on. I read all about you, and I had no idea where you were born and what your parents do. Can you tell us about the young Greg Hatcher? 
Yeah, my uh, my father was uh, an English professor at the college level who moved up. So he, uh, I was born in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, lived there a year or two, and then my father um, went to work as an English professor at Baker University in Baldwin, Kansas. And uh, after a few years, he became the chairman of the English department. And after a couple years there, he went to Park College in Parkville, Missouri, where he was the vice president of development. He was there one year, and then we moved to Michigan, where he became the vice president of development at Albion College in Albion, Michigan. And when I was a sophomore in college, he called me and he said, uh, Greg, I've been offered the presidency of three different colleges. And I said, uh, well, actually, he said it this way. He said, Greg, I want you to know that I was offered the president of this college and this college, and I turned him down. And I said, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, you can't be the president of three colleges. We're moving to Conway, Arkansas, where he became the president of Hendricks College when I was a sophomore in college. So people always ask, how did I get here? Well, after I graduated, me and two fraternity brothers moved to Arkansas, and we stayed because the weather was nicer and the girls were prettier. Those were the oh. those were the two reasons we stayed. Isn't that a song? <laughs> Wow. Why did he pick Conway? Is he a Methodist? Uh, no, it just... Isn't that Hendricks was the, a Methodist school? It, it was just... He was Methodist, but uh, I think he just thought Hendricks was a really good college of the three that he was offered at the same time. And he was, you said, the president of the school that you were attending in Michigan, right? No, he was uh, He was the vice president of Albion College. Oh, and not... I, w- I went to Alma College, which was in the same conference, and a rival... You didn't really want to go where your father was working and then the town I grew up, so I went to the rival, and I could go anywhere in the conference, you know, free. So that also helped as well. Were you upset when he moved to Conway? No, because it was good for him, you, you know, good for him and my mom. My mom was a school teacher, and then she became a... You know, when when he became president, she she stopped teaching school, and she became a competitive quilter. She's a world-class quilter. So, um, so Com- she's competitiveness just runs in your family. Uh, Ex- excel, excel, excel is like yeah. your DNA. It's kind of interesting. My father never was an athlete um, because he was the only child. He was making more money than his parents at sixteen. He was a worker, but he was actually a pretty decent athlete because he would he would run and play tennis, and he was pretty good there. So. You know, I, I was really the first one that had the opportunity. You know, he was having to work back then. I didn't have to work as much. Um, so I got to play all the sports. How old were you when you got your first job? Um, I mean, I worked in the summers in mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. And I worked uh, in the summers in college. But I didn't work while I was uh, in school. And my father probably thought I he kind of wanted me to. Uh, I think in in my four years of high school and college, there was one season that I worked, and I worked at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and my grades went down, and uh, that was enough. My dad figured out that um, sports was good for, that the busier I was, the better it was. And a lot of people ask me this on my kids. I don't, um, I tell my kids if they're playing three sports, that's their job, and I believe you can learn more playing the sports than you can working, you know, a minimum wage job while you're in high school or whatever. Now, people have different opinions on that. But what I tell people is if you can compete 
and you're going against trained assassins from the other team every day and you're working harder than anybody at practice, those skills are completely transferable to the work world. And, you know, I didn't know I was prepared for the work world, but what I tell people is when I was in college, every day I was going to a practice, sometimes two practices because I played three sports. Uh, 50 of the 52 weekends I competed, we, we tracked it one year, 50 of the 52 weekends I was either in a soccer, wrestling, or baseball game. And, mm. and the, when it's all mm. said and done, mm-hmm. when I got out of college and I went into the work world, it almost wasn't fair because I was going against somebody that had a coach that trained them. And when you, when you get to compete against the rest of the world, which might not be quite as intense from all that competitive warfare, work has been pretty easy, much easier than college sports for sure. And so I just want my kids to learn to compete. And when there'll be plenty of time to work, you can only compete and play for those four years of high school and college. And I want them to do that now. And I, I will support them as long as they do that. Now, if they quit, they can go to work. I think you it's know? interesting. You called it warfare and yeah. you called them trained assassins. Well, in wrestling, especially think about this of all the sports, you have to go to practice every day and you get ready to go out on a mat one-on-one with nobody to tag, no, no teammate to substitute in, no coach can help you. You're out there by yourself and the guy's trying to rip your head off, okay? And he's trying, to, he's trying to pin you and embarrass you in front of all your buddies, okay? You, you get more trained for that than anything else. You know, I'm not a, I wasn't a boxer or a mixed martial artist, but if you told me I had to go in the um, UFC ring like they do that real fighting, Cage, I, cage yeah, boxing, yeah, cage I fighting. Im- I can't imagine wanting to be more prepared for that because if you have a bad day there, you're all cut up and beat up and you might get killed. So mm-hmm. I didn't want my kids to go that far, but uh, I do have some respect for anybody that gets in that ring because you better be trained mentally and physically. And if I then took a person like that that had an, you know that was pretty smart and put them in just a regular job where their body wasn't at risk every day, that job would be pretty easy. <laughs> That's a different you know, way to think about it. So, um, uh, to me, yeah, work was much easier than ha- because every day I'm going against the guy who got a wrestling scholarship, who's got a coach in his corner. Now I compete with people who might not get up today and work out or get motivated to do anything, which is easier. It's yeah, a lot easier. Well, you played in college soccer, uh, baseball, and you were the captain of your wrestling team. But when you got out of college, you took a job at Notre Dame uh, for the baseball team. Tell us about that and what type of coach you were and who you you coached, what position you coached. So the truth is I had one job for six months right after I got out of college selling computers. And I missed competing in sports so badly that I decided to go back to graduate school. So I went to Notre Dame to go to graduate school. And I could I could have either been the sports information director assistant or the assistant baseball coach. And so I, I uh, chose the baseball coaching job. And I really enjoyed it. But I must admit, I still wasn't through playing. I missed playing more than coaching. So then I coached a uh, semi-pro team with a bunch of Division One baseball players where I was the player coach. And then, then I ended up moving uh, back down here. To Arkansas? Yeah. And when I did, I played competitive tennis, softball, and ran road races for the next 20 years because I couldn't get out the competitive juices. I just liked working out and going hard. And I quit 
when my kids got old enough to play um, because you can't be great and your kids be great. Either one of the two of you is going to be great, but if I'm going to all my games instead of going to theirs and spending time with them practicing, then then they're not then uh, I can't be great. And if I'm playing all the time, they're not going to be. So I quit and started coaching all their teams. I coached all five of my kids' teams until they got to high school. And I still help in many, many ways. I think that's a really tweetable thing to say. You you can't be great and your kids be great. There's kind of only enough room for one of you in the limelight at the time. And I think that's a very tweetable thing Mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. That's that's lovely. And I think this is a great place for us to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with author, philanthropist, and salesman extraordinaire and athlete extraordinaire, Mr. Greg Hatcher, founder of the Hatcher Agency, one of the largest, if not the largest, independent insurance agency in Arkansas, and will attempt to unravel the mystique of insurance. You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. If you miss any part of the show or you want to learn more about Up in Your Business, go to flagandbanner.com and click radio show. If you'd like to subscribe through any of your favorite podcast apps, just search flagandbanner.com. Lots of listening options. We'll be right back. Here at Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we love dance and we love dancing into dreamland. As a matter of fact, that wonderful event celebrated its 10th anniversary last year. We celebrated all night with loyal guests and past performers. But in the interest of our dancers and guest safety during the pandemic, we chose this year to postpone our largest fundraiser, Dancing into Dreamland 2020. Please know that this love affair with dancing and the history and restoration of Dreamland Ballroom has not been dampened at all. As a matter of fact, it's revitalized our commitment to building a loving and inclusive community. We intend to be a place for people to come together in unity and talk safely and openly about personal and social issues that affect not just our community, but the entire United States of America. This unusual reprieve, not mounting Dancing into Dreamland 2020 this year, has presented the board an opportunity to spend a year on building partnerships and strategic plans that will help us reach the goals that we have We hope that you'll share in this vision and find it in your heart to give in lieu of your usual ticket and table or sponsorship of Dancing into Dreamland. Please consider it and visit our website, dreamlandballroom.org. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with businessman, athlete, salesman, and philanthropist, Mr. Greg Hatcher, founder of the Hatcher Agency, a highly successful independent insurance company in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he's got a lot of tweetable moments and comments already in the first 15 minutes of the show. Let's talk about your company. We talked about your life growing up, and I see where all your... I see where all your ambition and drive comes from. Your mother and your father, they were both just very responsible people. Um, and they were both um, community-minded. Sounds like teachers. Yeah, they were good parents. Uh, let's talk about your company, the Hatcher Agency. Then let's move on to educating our listeners about insurance and how to read and understand your policy, which I do not, I am not able to do. And the future of health insurance in America, probably everybody wants to know that, including me. But first, tell us how you decided to leave the security. You left college, you, or you're, you moved to Arkansas, you got a job um, working for Blue Cross Blue Shield, and you decided to leave that security and start your own business. Tell us how that came to be. Well, um, I really enjoyed my years at Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, the My co-salesmen that I worked with were really fun because back then, Bill Phillips, who played pro football for the Broncos, 
he hired pretty much most of the salesmen, and so they were most of them were athletes. They were competitive. We had a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but you know, I, I think what what did it for me is I was I would uh, I was always reading this book by Tom Peters called In Search of Excellence, which um, In Search of Excellence. Yeah, it's an older book, but you know it it was about all the great companies and different things they do, and my. My entrepreneurial mind just thought I could do some fun things um, with our business that would make insurance different. The other thing is in 1989, Blue Cross averaged about a 50% increase. And so, um, you know. You mean to customers? Yeah, it was one of our worst years. So I would have to deliver a lot of bad news. And when I worked for Blue Cross, I only had one option. I had to say, here's your Blue Cross renewal and here's your Blue Cross renewal. And so Uh if... Sometimes I couldn't fix the problem, so I'd have to send it to an independent agent, you know, who had... And you'd lose the sale. Well, yeah, who had Blue Cross or all the other cares. And so I just thought being an independent where I could solve the problem all the time was the solution. Um, But I, you know, but I wanted to end on really good terms with Blue Cross, so I did. I I gave them plenty of notice. I honored my non-compete clause and, and became Blue Cross's top producer, you know, as an independent, both on the individual... Why does that... What... No, wait, if you had a non-compete clause, were you competing with them when you started your business? Well, when you leave a company, you know, a lot of times people will try to take all their accounts with them. Oh, I see. So you didn't go after their accounts. I didn't didn't take any accounts with me. So Mm -hmm. I had to start from scratch. I had to call on Mm -hmm. people I didn't even know. So I did that and I sold sold for Blue Cross, both individual and group. So I just figured out what the best solution was. And when I got out, I learned that there were a lot of other solutions, you know, you didn't know about. You know, because you're always just working for Blue know, Cross Blue yeah. Shield. So I, in I, a bubble. Yeah, I figured that out, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. And uh, my sales pitch was kind of funny. I would just call on people and ask them if I could help them or if I couldn't, and they'd say, "Say that again." I'd say, <laughs> "I'm calling to see if I can help you. Or if I can't, if you let me look at your plan, I'll either help you and save you money, or I won't." <laughs> Either way, you win. You you confirm what you have is good, or I'll find something better. Well, after six months of those calls, everybody I looked at, I was able to help in some way, and I've never made a sales call since that six months because it got so busy. Once you took care of those customers, they'd refer you to other ones, and we grew from one employee to seven employees in the first year. I wondered and, how uh, you grew so fast. Yep, and and to be fair, Blue Cross people, if they couldn't help. You know, figure it. You know, if they didn't have the fit, they'd send them to me. Refer and, them, and we had a great relationship, and we have a great relationship today. And uh, how do you handle that kind of growth? Because one of the things that kills a business is you grow too fast, and you can't manage the growth. Mm-hmm. So, how did you manage the growth? Well, the first year in business, I, I I set these parameters. I would work every day from six a.m. to six p.m. And then I'd go home till nine, and then I went back to the office nine to midnight. That was my first year. I've, I uh, had my expense, what? Yeah, I had my expenses below two thousand dollars a month, and I didn't buy a new pair of socks, clothes, and anything for the first year. So the commitment was to make it work. I'd have to, like you said, when you start a business, you have to go crazy at first. I was twenty-eight years old, so I went crazy the first year doing that. It took me thirteen months to make a profit. And once you make a profit in insurance, it takes that long to build up enough renewals that'll pay your expenses. Mm-hmm. Then I was good from that point forward. And um, 
really have just been taking, you know, care of customers and hiring people as I need them, you know, ever since. There was really no goal is to get a certain size to do this or that. I just grew as needed. Are you a group insurance or individual insurance? Both. We now we now do everything. So we do health, property, casualty, individual, corporate. Any, we can do every kind of insurance. But it's is. mostly health insurance and life insurance, I guess. We're no ma- auto. No, no, we real, do all that too. Real estate? Yeah. Yeah, everything. Really? Everything? We do everything. But we started off as an employee benefits. Which, Which is, is group a group health. insurance. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and that's still our main thing, but we do it all now. Let's talk about the business of insurance. It is complex, and the vocabulary is all to its own. Mm-hmm. Um, how does a layman learn how to read uh, Let's talk about health insurance. How does a layman learn how to read his policy? Well, it's getting a little easier today because so many things are legislated. Like in the in the early days of my career, the two worst things were that you could go to a doctor and the doctor would charge this much and the insurance would only pay a smaller amount. That was my biggest problem. But today you have participating doctors and hospitals, and if you go to those doctors or hospitals, they have to agree to accept whatever the insurance Are you pays. talking about HMOs, that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, HMOs, those kind of- PPOs, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But, but the, So today, you like those? Well, the customer's protected because when you go to the doctor, you don't know what they're going to charge. You don't know if it's reasonable or not. So when when you go, if they're in the network, which all the hospitals are in 95% of the doctors, they've already cut a deal with the insurance company that they'll accept what they pay and that they can't balance bill you. That's important. And that they'll file the claim for you, which makes that easier. And then recently with uh, Obamacare, there's no more pre-existing conditions. So the old thing we used to worry about was, hey, are they going to deny this because it was pre-existing? They yeah. can't deny it anymore, so that went away. So Does we, that hurt your business? No. It, it doesn't uh, hurt it or help it. It just makes it have fewer problems because when you buy a policy and everything's covered, whether it was pre-existing or not, that makes for less problems. The only issue that that we deal with today is if I sell you a policy and it's supposed to be covered, I'm getting it covered. There, in 28 years, there hadn't been a claim not paid that should have been. I've gotten a few paid that maybe shouldn't have been. Okay, mm-hmm. That's but, you're a good but, guy. but today, the biggest problem is controlling the cost because when you when you pay for everything and you don't have pre-existing condition clauses and people are aging, okay, and they're spending somebody else's money, the insurance companies, it's hard to keep the costs, you know, under control. And we're probably less healthy as a society, um, you know, because we're all eating out all the time and, you know, mm-hmm. not, not working out. And we've, we don't have PE in the schools as much anymore and mm-hmm. kids are playing one sport instead of three. I mean, I believe in all of those things that help keep us healthy, yeah. Um, that, that takes me to another question about driving up the, what is driving up the cost. I used to think that it was insurance companies like yours or Blue Cross, not yours, but more like Blue Cross Blue Shield that were driving up the cost of, of, of insurance and medical. But it's really not. It's the, I've been told it's the drug companies. What's your take on that? Well, it's a, it's a lot of things. So the, first of all, you know, I try to, one of the keys to being successful as a salesman is to make something complicated simple so exactly. that everybody can understand it. So Another tweetable moment. Yeah. So all health insurance is, all Blue Cross is, is they are somebody that, that processes the claims that are sent in 
and negotiates the price with the doctors for you. And for that, they take a percentage of the claims processed to pay their overhead. That's all that they're just an intermediary that connects you and the doctor and the payment through claims processing. That is so well said. Okay. Now, um, included in there are the drugs. So let's talk about the drugs because you have hit on one of the key points. So in 1984, I went to work for Blue Cross Blue Shield at age 23. There was no such thing as a prescription drug card. I didn't even know what one was. Okay, if you had a prescription, you paid for it out of your pocket and you sent the the little prescription in to the insurance company as a claim and it went towards your deductible and then they paid 80%. There also were no advertisements on TV. When I watched TV, I didn't I didn't know what Viagra or Cialis or Lamisil or all these drugs that or you know Humira that we see all the time. None of those were advertised on TV. Okay? And so back then, drug card claims were 5% of the total health care spend, just 5%. Today, they're 25%. So they've increased 500% since the drug card and since advertising on TV. Because today, we look at, you know, what's on, we look and we say, hey, maybe I need to talk to my doctor about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And most of the drugs that you see advertised on TV are what I would call maintenance medications. A drug you get to take the rest of your life. You know, they're annuities. Okay. <laughs> so now I'm not saying. Spoken I'm, like a real yeah, insurance yeah, man. I'm not saying that they are, that we don't need them. Right. We do. You know, um, you and I are going to live longer. I looked at a, a chart the other day, mortality, because as I get closer to the end, I want to know how long that is. Mm-hmm. But in 1900, the average person lived to be 45. Today, they live to be about 75. I thought and, it was higher than that. Well, if you can pass a life insurance physical, it's 86. So from a life insurance perspective, if you can get through a life insurance physical, yeah. it's like 86. But in Arkansas, the average man's about 72 and a woman about 75. That's mortality. Now, that factors in there getting hit by a car wreck, you know, when you're 18 or, you know, mm-hmm. getting shot or whatever, not just dying of natural causes. But the point is today our medical care uh, it's keeps go us alive longer. longer. And it's got to go longer. And these drugs help us, you know. The, the key is, you know, how to control the cost. So do you think the cost of that, part of that is the advertising expense that they've tacked on to the cost of the drug so that they can advertise it to the masses? Because mm-hmm. advertising on the United States wide is pretty darn expensive. Yeah. Or do you, th- and I don't understand what you've talked about, the prescription cards. How would that, how would that make the price raise? So a prescription drug card is the little credit card looking thing that you get from your insurance company that says when you go to get a prescription, it's $15, say, for a generic $30 for a name brand or $50 and $75 for a non-preferred name brand. When people get those cards, just like a credit card, they go into the pharmacy and they fill their prescription and they don't know what that drug even costs. They, they just think it costs $15. It might cost $200. And since it only costs them 15 bucks, why do they care? Okay. If you were having to pay your deductible and 20% of that drug card cost, you would care a little bit more. And you might not go get it. That's right. it might right. not sit in your cabinet and unused. Yeah, so I'll tell you a funny story okay. Okay, to illustrate this. I had a friend call me one time and he said, hey, Greg, I've lost my job and I, um, I want to know if I should take COBRA or not. And I said, well, you're going to get another job, right? And he said, yeah, I should have one within 60 days. And I said, well, under COBRA, you can... Um, 
just wait 60 days to decide whether you want to exercise your option or not, as long as you don't have any claims, that you'd save that premium as long as you got on the new plan. He said, okay. I said, you don't have any claims, do you? He goes, well, the kids take a couple medications. I said, well, what do they, what do they cost? What, what are they? And he said, well, they're ADD medicines. And I said, well, what does that cost? He goes, I don't know, $15. I said, no, no. They don't cost $15. They cost, that's just your copay. You need to call the pharmacy and see how much they cost. So he calls and he calls me back. He says, Greg, you're not going to believe it. Those ADD medicines are costing $250 a month. And I got two kids. That's $500 a month. And I said, well, what's your COBRA premium? And he said, well, it's $1,000 a month for the family. I said, there you go. Just pay the $500 out of your pocket. It's cheaper than paying the COBRA premium. If one of them gets in a car wreck or gets sick, we can always go back and pay our COBRA premium. It'll pay for your drugs and that. Mm -hmm. He goes, I'm not paying $500 for the ADD medicine. They can go do a few extra push-ups. They can go run around, (laughs) but I'm not going to pay that. So he didn't pay it for those two months because it was his money. Well, when I was growing up, as you might imagine, my parents considered putting me on Ritalin, okay? (laughs) Thank God they didn't, okay? Because I just had a little more energy than the average guy. (laughs) But a lot of drugs we really, really need. And a lot of drugs were taken because somebody got on them. They were paying the $15. The pharmaceutical rep did a good job of selling them. You know, I'm I'm pretty anti-drug. I'd do just about anything I could not to have to take one. And a lot of them can be controlled with diet or exercise or a lot of things. Now, some of them we can. And when I need one that I need to take, boy, I'll be taking it. And I'm very appreciative of it. So I'm just saying until people have skin in the game, Mm -hmm. you can't control the small cost and now, those and those those two hundred dollar uh prescription medicine it will will make your insurance go up because your insurance oh. has got to make money oh, so yeah. your insurance goes up because you've got two hundred dollar uh, yeah half that guy's premium was already gone on those two drugs every month before we even had a big and claim. insurance companies are in the business of making money they're just a company some people are like you know Golly, they're making money on me. I'm like, well, that's their job. It's not. Nobody's ever going to feel sorry for insurance companies. Um, but with when Obamacare was passed, it limited the amount that an insurance company can take of the premium to 15%. So for if $100 is sent in, they can keep 15% to pay their overhead, all their employees, their buildings, et cetera. And here's the kicker. Of the 15% that they collect, Seven and a half percent of it is taxes, <gasps> but they have to send to the federal government, the state government, to a to a thing called PCORI, which is Patient Centered Outcome Research Institute to solve drug diseases. So they really are only keeping about seven and a half percent. Everybody thinks it's the insurance companies. Yep. It's not. So what are the lobbyists? Do they put a cap? I'm well, not the lobbyists. Do they put a cap on the on the, the drug companies' well, lobbyists? One of the reasons you know that. Now, insurance companies aren't dying. No. Because as the premium cost goes up and they're getting 15% of that number or they're seven and a half. Yeah, because it's a percentage. It is going up at a faster rate than inflation, so they're still getting there. But they were capped on that. Did they cap the drug companies? No. See, that's what I keep hearing. Why do they not have a cap? They're the one that has the $200 bill. I think you're going to see more legislation coming that way. We had a little bit here in Arkansas, but... But, uh, you know, it's, it's always more complicated than it seems. But a lot of it could be um, like you can you can get the same drug in Canada, sometimes on our big expensive mm-hmm. drugs for half the price. Mm-hmm. 
just due to regulatory, legislative, you know, lawsuits, all kinds so of things. So it's coming. That, that uh, it, it'll be hard to, it's hard to take away something once you've got it. Um, the other thing is our population's aging with the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be the average age of a group was 35. Now it's 45 or 50. Mm-hmm. And so um, the blessing is we're going to live longer and we're going to live better lives, but it's going to cost more health cost is 18% of the gross national product number one expense no but there's nothing more important either so that's right if you don't have your health yeah. you don't have anything that's correct I still want to talk about wrestling that's his real passion but let's take a quick break and uh, and when we come back we're going to talk about his wrestling Arkansas Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Through candid conversation and interesting interviews with business and community-minded Arkansans, listeners gain insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Carrie McCoy, founder and president of Arkansas Flag and Banner, believes in paying knowledge and experience forward and developed this radio show as a means of doing so. The biographies, life experiences, and wisdom of her guests would likely go unheard if not for this venue. Rarely do people open up for an hour to an audience about their life, mistakes, triumphs, and pitfalls. This unique radio show allows the listener intimate access into the stories of prominent leaders in our state. I am Adrian McNally, manager of the Arkansas Flag and Banner Showroom and Gift Shop, located on the first floor of the historic Taborian Hall on the corner of 9th and State Streets in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with businessman, salesman, and athlete philanthropist, Mr. Greg Hatcher, founder of the Hatcher Agency, a highly successful independent insurance company in Little Rock, Arkansas. we got two things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the book you wrote, which is when I really first met you. And then I want to talk about uh, your wrestling. So on your website, it says the Hatcher Agency's goal is to provide outrageous service for all its individuals and group insurance needs. In 1999, you wrote a book called 55 Steps to Outrageous Service. I would even go so far as to say that you've coined the phrase outrageous service. Would you say that? what we have on the side of our building the home of outrageous service i i i think you i think that is your phrase i don't know if you can get it copyrighted but i think you should uh what was the catalyst for writing this book well i had a friend at the time named larry washka who owned washka capital investments and he he died a few years back um on his one year anniversary on his honeymoon but he had written the you know the the complete idiot's guide to getting rich and he said you ought to write one on service and so i thought about it and i said well i don't know if it'll sell but it doesn't matter i want to write one for my employees in other words this would be our training manual 55 steps to outrageous service and when i interview new employees i have them read the book and tell them to read it if they're not going to do those 55 things it wouldn't be a fit how many pages we're, we're a little nutty it's about 250 pages probably so um Anyway, we have printed it uh, two times. It's about to go to a third printing. We printed it once hardback, then paperback, and we're now just revising a couple chapters. Um, what's amazing is the same 55 steps are there except for one. We have, we've combined two chapters to create room for a 55th step, and that is the new chapter is called Health First. 
And what I've learned as I've gotten older is there's nothing more important than working out. You know, every day it gets your endorphins going, et cetera. So with, uh, with my new employees and my two daughters that have come to work and now at the Hatch Agency, I've, I've told them I don't even want to see them at work till they've worked out. Because, Every day? Yeah, because there's nothing more important than that. Because if you work your tail off but you don't have your health, what good is it? You yeah. know. And I actually believe they'll be better employees. So we have a gym in our office. I, I give all employees the flexibility to work out uh, during the workday, before or after. I don't care. I just want them to be healthy first. So that's one of the new chapters. Um, that's great. Yeah, I also wrote a book called um, Between the Ears, How to Think Like a Champion, which was a uh, bigger book that focused on um, all the years of coaching kids and what makes people winners. And, and really both books would work in business, but the second one's a little more intense um, for, for, the, for the casual uh, admire of ath- athletics, they might not understand it before the college coach, they would really like it. Um, we've sent it to a lot of college coaches and uh, they like it. So the more intense you are, the more you like that book. Uh, a lot of kids read it to get ready. Why, why is your book that you published in 19, let's see, when did you publish that first one? 99. Mm-hmm. Why is that book still relevant? You know, there's nothing in there that is. Um, you know, some secret, it, you know, the key to life is execution. Most people know what they're supposed to do. They just don't do it. Okay. So 55 steps just remind you of what you, you got to do in any business. And if any business did those 55 steps, it would be impossible for them to fail. Really? You, you know, it's like, um, I got to read it again. Everybody, got it on my shelf. everybody knows how to lose weight. You eat better and you work out. Yeah. Okay. And you get a good night's sleep, but not everybody can do it. Well, you know, if you, in business, there are certain things that if you do in business will work. Like some of the steps in 55 steps are we go see our clients every month on a Goodwill call. Okay. Every month after we've sold them, we go see them every month to see how they're doing. Well, every business should do that. But how many do? Almost, how can you have the manpower not. to do that? We, we make the manpower to do it. Because if, if you go by and visit your clients every month, they're going to tell other people about you. And you don't have to spend many money clients on advertising. Do you have? We have about a thousand corporate clients. And we want to keep the clients we have first before we sell a new one. If you, yeah. if you keep what you have, then you're going to grow. So we try to take care of our existing clients. They tell other clients, uh, other prospects, they ought to buy from us. And I'd rather be an order taker than a person, you know, pushing something down their throat all the time. So that's one focus. We write five thank you notes a week to people. A day, a week. A, a week. Five, every person in my office writes five thank you notes a week. Well, that doesn't sound like much, but if you've got 50 people and you write 250 thank you notes times 52 52. weeks, you've yeah. got 10,000 times you've told somebody thanks. And I don't care if it's a customer, a vendor, a friend, a parent, a sister. I don't care. I want you to show gratitude to five people a week. And it's good for your psyche. Yeah, and do you know what happens when someone reads a thank you note? No. You, you feel good writing it. They feel good getting mm-hmm. it. I always say your name changes because they then, they then call you honey or darling the next time they see you. And they tell everybody how nice it is to work with you. And it's just a good thing. And so we have all kinds of little steps like that. Um, in the book to take care that of That is customers. so important. Mm-hmm. Um, Skip Rutherford, he's an avid thank you mm-hmm. note writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
George W. Bush was, yeah. I think it was George W. one. Yeah. It was the avid note. That was an avid thank you writer. I just mm-hmm. think that's a wonderful tip. Yeah. It's a gratitude. It's a gratitude it exercise. It has to be legit. It can't be fake. So the, most people just don't do it. And let, but when I require it, they think, hey, I do need to say thanks to that person. And yeah. you sold that book recently, didn't you? Did you sell one of your books? Did you give the copyright? Did you sell the copyright to no, somebody? No. no. You are very active in the community. Just to name some of the things you've given time to. Past chairman of the Little Rock Marathon. Past president of Little Rock Rotary Club 99. You're on the board of Baptist Health Foundation, Heart, Ball, Heart, Walk, Heart Walk, the Arthritis Foundation. You co-founded and president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And my favorite that I've been waiting to get to through the whole thing is you founded AWA, the Arkansas Wrestling Association. At last count... You may have you may have better numbers than this. You purchased mats for sixty high schools, four colleges to start their program. How many kids do you think are wrestling now? Um, well, we've we're we're up to sixty five mats for high schools, thirteen different college programs founded oh, wow. now. We have about four thousand wrestlers now in Arkansas that um, are learning self-defense, feeling better about themselves, getting more self-confidence, burning body fat, learning how to eat right, okay, and just walk with a little bit more confidence. And we just announced um, that the University of Arkansas Little Rock will become the first Division One wrestling program um, added since like 2003. Um, right now in Arkansas, we have Arkansas Baptist College, Washita Baptist University, Lyon College, um, I got to think of them. Williams Baptist uh, College, um, uh, Ozarks University, UALR. There are seven college programs now in Arkansas, which is more than Oklahoma, more than Texas, more than Missouri, more than Texas, more than Kansas. So um, they called me the other day to say that Arkansas, who had no wrestling. Uh, Ten years ago, now is the only state in the union to have a Division three, a Division two, a Division one, an NAIA, a junior college, a women's college program of all the states. So that's kind of an interesting fact about Arkansas. You ought to be so uh, proud of yourself. Wrestling, but uh, but there have been a lot of people that have helped, and um, my goal is to get to a hundred programs at least. And you're at how many? Well, we're sixty-five high school and thirteen college, so we're at seventy-eight and counting. Yeah. How hard was it to do this? Sounds like a huge undertaking. Well, when I get to the president of a college mm-hmm. or the superintendent. So you are still selling. When you say you're not selling, you're about, still selling. We're at about 98% close ratio because what wrestling does for colleges is it brings more students in. And it is actually a profitable endeavor because all you got to do is hire the coach. We pay for their mats, uniforms to get them started. And then they get 50 kids coming in. Some are on scholarship, but they're all paying some tuition. And we means you pay for their mats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's your own philanthropy, right? Yep. That's that's one of the areas we try to give. I try to give back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you come in and say, no wonder your closing ratio is high, 98%. Hey, I'm going to come in and give you all these mats, train mm-hmm. you how to do it, and mm-hmm. you're going to, so you, they have no out-of-pocket expenses in the beginning. Mm-mm. No, they, it's uh at my college, so where I wrestled, that's one of the 13 college programs that uh, we restarted. So in 1984, they passed Title IX, which was a good thing. I'm a father of four daughters. Okay, What's Title IX? Title IX says that you have to have a woman's sport for every man's sport. Oh, okay. And it goes deeper than that. If a college has 60% of its 
uh, students women. 60% of the scholarships or sports opportunities have to be for women. Wow. Well, when they passed that law, it was good on one hand that it was great that we had to add women's sports, but it was really bad for wrestling because there's always men's and women's golf, men's and women's tennis, men's and women's basketball. But there was not men's and women's wrestling. So the sport they dropped, because they didn't want to drop football, was they dropped wrestling. Overnight, four, over 400 college programs were dropped in, the, in 84, 85 due to Title IX. We've now rebuilt 115 of them back. Well, my college program, when I graduated from college, we had won three straight uh, conference titles. We hadn't lost a match in three years. We were our school's most successful sport. And two years after I graduated, they dropped it because of Title IX. So 25 years later, hmm. I went back to the college, said, I'm on the board of trustees now. I said, I'll pay for the mats. At, I'll pay at, for, at which college? At my college, Alma, Alma College. Mm-hmm. We added it back. They hired a new coach. And within two years, he had 57 wrestlers there wrestling. They did a they did an analysis on it, and they said it made the college 1.2 million because if you take 57 students at about 32 thousand dollars a year, this was Division three, no scholarships, and all you had to do was pay a coach and assistant, and we paid for the mats and the uniforms. The rest was profit. I don't understand. What where's the 32? Th- 32 thousand per student to come to school there, and they came because of wrestling. Oh, no question. Because they had a wrestling program. No question. That's I could sell every college president at the Division three level that sits down with me because there are less students graduating from college right now or from high school than there were 15, 20 years ago. We just don't have as many babies. The baby boomers are gone. Oh, really? And these small colleges are being squeezed on the number of students they can get because it costs more to go to, say, a Washita Baptist University than a mm-hmm. University of Arkansas. So why go and pay that money unless you're going to get something extra? So just like when we started Washita Baptist University, Rex Horn, who was the president at the time, said yes. It took one, it took 15 minutes, Okay. He was, he was the first guy to say yes to college wrestling in Arkansas. Three years later, Washita Baptist University finished third in the NCAA tournament wow. because we could recruit all these good wrestlers but in. But where, where are they coming from? If, are they still wrestling in high school? Were there still oh, high yes. schools that oh, were wrestling? Oh, the high schools so, so were that... not affected by Title IX like colleges were. Oh. So take Texas. They have 480 high school wrestlers, and they only have one college that has wrestling oh so those wrestlers come to washita baptist university they come to lion college they come here Uh because we have wrestling programs that they don't that is so interesting that's good math right there Mm -hmm. okay we're out of time what you want your legacy to be you've got so many it could be it could be i don't even know what all it could be you could just do you could just do tweeter feed all day long with all your words of pearls of wisdom well when i you know, when you first get started, you think other things are important. But right before I came here, I had lunch with my son and one of his wrestling friends, and I was teaching them how to do invites on calendars, how to do um, a goal list, a to-do list on your phone. Um, I was teaching them about how much money they'd have if they just had $5,000 invested right now, how to set up their Ameritrade account. So, you know, when I'm dead and gone, the only thing that matters really, I guess, is what your kids and your friends think about you. So I'm, I work hard on trying to help them. You're going to have your picture up yeah. for wrestling all over the place, yeah. even in other states, because you yeah. already you helped yeah. you helped Michigan. Yeah. How many other states have you helped with wrestling? Michigan, Arkansas, um, any other? Others. There's there's are sprinkled. There's sprinkled. Probably three or four more other states. One word to sum you up. Well, it used to be competitive. That's what but, I was going to say. But, um, 
it used to be competitive, but I'd probably say driven. There. Yeah. So here's your gift. Thank you for coming on. Look, it's a desk set. I've got a, I got a, I got an Arkansas flag and a U.S. flag. Already for, right now? No, I'm saying that's, I want them to know what I'm getting. Oh, yes. Yeah. You're getting a U.S. and an Arkansas desk <laughs> set. To, I, I was going to say nobody ever has one of these, but no. everybody no, should. Every businessman should love have it. one of love those. It. Yeah, a four by six inch U.S. and Arkansas desk set for your shelf or your office, wherever. Thank you for coming on. I've enjoyed you. Glad to do it. Uh, if you've got a great entrepreneurial story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right. But it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it Whatever it is, will help you up your business, your life, or your independence. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guests. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.